Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating happy, healthy, beautiful homes that prepare us to fly. Oh, Marjorie, it's nice to hear your voice. I've missed you. I had so much fun when you came to visit us last weekend. I missed you guys, too. I keep looking at pictures of Bernie and Franklin and two, two sweet peas. I just, I miss them. I miss you. I miss Jay. <laughs> we just had the nicest time. And so back to our podcast about being house guests. That was one of the rare times I've ever stayed in somebody's home. And it will forever be a highlight. Your husband was such a sweetheart. He made a bonfire for us on Saturday night. And we just sat around with some dear friends and talked for like two and a half hours. It was just everything about it was was so, so lovely. So thank you for that. Oh my gosh. You're so welcome. Thank you for coming. The podcasts were so fun. We had such a great time meeting everybody at the Minnesota State Fair and was just really delighted to see that we had quite a few people who showed up and wanted to be part of the podcast (laughs) recording. And it was just really great because these conversations are, you know, we've talked about this. They're different than anything else that we've ever really done in our careers and they're much more intimate and there is really there's a level of sharing here that we don't always do other places and so getting feedback from people in a real way and feeling like they feel validated in a lot of things that they're feeling because of these conversations is just the most rewarding thing so and then having you here Marjorie it was the absolute best and it just reminded me of that of that episode that we did where we talked about having house guests and I really believe that when you go to sleep under the same roof as someone and wake up with under the same roof as someone, there's just like a bond that's created there that you can't get any other way. I'm a firm believer in sleepovers at other people's houses. (laughs) I am now too. I think, but I'm not sure if it's just your house. I have to try, I have to try somebody else to see if I've really converted, but I know for sure. And I'm sorry to say this. I hope it's okay. If I come to Minnesota, I'm staying with you. Always. Nicest, nicest guest room. Oh, I was like in a tree house. It was fantastic. We call but it, it really yeah, is it's pretty fun. It, it is. It is great. But today we're talking about something that I think um, is so important, and it's the longevity of marriage. And how do we stay married? And that's part of staying with people as well. You know, I got to sort of witness your marriage to Jay firsthand, if only for forty-eight hours. Yeah, we were. Health- <laughs> it looked wonderful. We were on a really great behavior. Actually, after <laughs> you left, Jay did say to me, "You were nicer when Marjorie was here." <laughs> I love that. I said, I love that's that. probably fair. That is probably a fair <laughs> assessment. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. But there was something that happened at the end of August, and we didn't have a chance to talk about it. And I want to talk about it now. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, our Supreme Court Justice, was speaking at um, at the National at the Library of Congress Book Fair. I think that's what it's called. And she was, um, I'm sorry, it was at the Library of Congress National Book Festival. And 
she had recounted a story, which all of this is so odd. So if you haven't heard the story, just follow me. So apparently J-Lo called her. J-Lo. J-Lo. Ruth Bader, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ginsburg. Because when you're just, J-Lo, you can just pick up the phone and call anyone. How great is that? I know. That's like the coolest thing ever. It's like, huh, feel like talking to Ruth today. I'm going to give her a call. So she gives her a call and they're chatting because she wants her fiance, Alex Rodriguez, best known as A-Rod, to meet her. Okay. It just gets weirder. Like, that's the video I want to see is that little meeting. But so Justice Ginsburg said that part of their conversation on the phone, J-Lo asked her what the secret to a happy marriage is. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was married to her husband for more than 50 years. He passed away in 2010. Wow. And I just, but all of that, just hold all of that in your head at one time. (laughs) Hey, J-Lo. And actually, when you think about somebody who needs marriage advice, it's J-Lo. I mean, it is J-Lo. J-Lo loves love. She loves to be in love. She's been married three times already, and now she's engaged to A-Rod. I think she's been engaged a couple of other times, too. I think you're right. You know, what? you got to give J-Lo some credit for calling and saying, I'm going to look for the wisest person who I can get a hold of and the person who's probably made more impactful decisions than anyone else I can get a hold of and try to figure out what I've been doing wrong with this whole marriage thing because her marriages haven't been lasting. And listen, marriage is not for the faint of heart. Boy, that's the truth. I think both of her first two marriages lasted for under a year. Yeah. And then her marriage to Mark Anthony lasted for 10 years, and she has kids with him. But this is the quote, the quote from Justice Ginsburg. She says, I was called about a month or so ago by Jennifer Lopez, and she said she would like to meet me and introduce her fiancé, Alex Rodriguez. She mostly wanted to ask me if I had any secret about a happy marriage. She went along to give J-Lo this advice. The advice that she gave J-Lo was the advice that her mother-in-law had given her on her wedding day. Great. She says that her mother-in-law, this is Justice Ginsburg, took her aside and said she wanted to tell me what was the secret to a happy marriage. The secret was, well, Ginsburg recalled, I said I would be glad to hear it. What is it? And she responded, it helps sometimes to be a little deaf. (laughs) And I love that. It's so true. Because coincidentally, yesterday was my 34th wedding anniversary. Oh my gosh, how wonderful. So I have been married, Elizabeth, 34 years. Yeah, that's I've been married almost as long as you've been alive. That's true. Yeah, I was four when you got married. (laughs) Oh my God, that blew my mind too. (laughs) But you were also very young when you got married. I was, but 34 years is a long time. And I think about that piece of advice. It helps sometimes to be a little deaf. And I will tell you, in the first 10 years of my marriage, it would have helped a lot if I'd just been a little deaf. (laughs) Because I would react to everything, to absolutely everything. So if, if he said something and I didn't feel like it was quite right, I felt like I had to voice my opinion. Yeah. If I felt like he said something... That was, if he was teasing me, but I thought it was a little too mean, I would have to express my opinion. Everything. I expressed my opinion about absolutely everything. I'm lucky he stayed married to me. Well, I get that. And I think that you're, that is really self-aware of you to say that, that to say, oh my gosh, I expressed so many opinions. But you also have to remember the timing of 
you and the beginning of your marriage. I mean, women before you, Marjorie, did not express anything and ended up <laughs> just being <laughs> squashed, you know, and it wasn't right. their fault that they weren't expressing things. It was just the way that women were valued and the whole thing. And I think there was like this, this generation, and I'm sure you are not the only one when it comes to women who are your age, who just right. felt like if I don't say something, it will be a problem. My mom says to me now, like when I say to her stuff I've said to Jay about things, she's like, I'm so glad that you're saying it. She's like, because right. I didn't say it. I didn't say it at all. And I just let it build up for so long. And yeah, then, that wasn't my problem. Yeah. And that, but, <laughs> you know, you. I think you can go... You can probably go to extreme one way, Marjorie. I mean, I know this shocks you to hear about yourself, <laughs> yes, but you might be yes. able to, you might go to extreme one way. But yes. at the same time, I mean, that is definitely, that's like, I think a visceral reaction to what you don't want your marriage to be. And that's, be. you know, where you always find, I think I got some really good advice at one point from a, um, from this, like kinesiologist, she's like this healer kind of woman that I see and she's really wonderful. Um, but I remember when I had, I had broken off an engagement. So I was engaged before I married Jay and I had broken off that engagement and, um, and I was kind of trying to figure out like, who am I looking for? What am I looking for in a partner? Like, what do I even want? And it turned out that just the way that I was built, I really didn't want to marry someone that was like my dad. <laughs> like I just didn't want a lot of those qualities for myself. And so what I did is I searched for the polar opposite of that. And that was yeah, that engagement. She, that was that relationship. Not and healthy she, either. Not healthy. And what, um, what Anna said to me was the opposite of what you don't want is not what you want. Oh, that's brilliant. The opposite of what you don't want is not what you want. And she said, you have to get neutral with what you don't want in order to figure out what you really want. Now, and and to give like, I mean, I have, now I have some maturity on that. You know, when I started dating that guy, I was 21. And so I right. just, that was like a real friction period with my own dad where I just was like, I don't, I don't like this. I don't want to be like that. You know, it was just kind of a weird time. And You're so young. You yeah, I was very young. And so then when I finally got like right with that and I got to a neutral place of with that, I felt like, oh my gosh. And that's exactly when I met Jay and Jay is, is it, he is that neutral space. Like right. he probably has, he probably has some of, he probably has some qualities of your dad for or sure. men that you for admire. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never, I mean, in anything in life, this is not news. It's not good to do things as a reaction to. Right. And so anytime that you're making choices as a reaction to, as opposed to that middle way, obviously that's probably not the healthiest way to approach things. For me, I got married so young for a multitude of reasons. I will always consider that I was really, really lucky. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't look back at that in age 20 and think, oh, I was just so wise that I picked him yeah. or that he picked me. Because when I think back, I, in a way, feel like we barely knew each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I was sort of, he made me laugh. I mean, it was like, 
I mean, really, foundationally, he made me laugh, and I knew he was super smart, and it was like, all right, this seems like this seems like fun. <laughs> I mean, not that really isn't a recipe for thirty four years. I just got really, really lucky in that he was more than I thought he was. And so in times of crisis, he would reveal himself to me and be like, oh, my God, you are that guy. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Where it just as easily could have gone the other way and be like, oh, my God, you're that guy. I'm in so much trouble. And it just it just didn't. And I so I feel really blessed by that. And in some ways, I feel like in so many ways that Ian came into my life in sort of um, not to put too big a point on it, but that it was sort of a divine gift. He was so much of what I, I really needed for 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 reasons of my own. And so I, I feel very blessed in that way. But it didn't all of that having been you know, all of that being said, that idea of just be deaf sometimes. Um, I should have I wish I had taken that advice more because I think we would have had fewer fights. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not saying I caused all of them, but I know there's a percentage and mine's higher. So <laughs> so that's really um, funny. That, you know, I think that is, it's, um, that divine intervention though. I mean, that's, that is what you listen to though. We talk about that. You listen to that voice within you that just said you, you felt good with that decision. I mean, and, and looking back at that day when you get married, you know, I, I even try to like bust out our wedding album book or watch the video. We have like a six minute video of our wedding and it is good to watch that regularly to be reminded yeah. of where your story began. Because if you were always just foundationally in that moment of when you knew that this was the right thing, it feels a lot better. And then that being said, I mean, you also just have to be really aware that it's a ton of work. And that's something that maybe JLo hasn't really gotten. Her reaction was pretty interesting. Should we talk about her, what JLo Oh, absolutely. Said? About Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So she talked about, I'd like a big wedding and I'd like to get married in a church this time. She's talked about her relationship with A-Rod. She said, I've never been married in a church and I've been married three times and once was nine months and once was 11 months. So I don't really count those, but I was married to Mark for 10 years with the kids. I felt like if I got married, I felt like I would always have somebody. But that's not how life works. That's not how it goes. It's a bad reason to get married. Not the right one. The wrong one. The right one is when you find somebody who really makes you better. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you, can't, you cannot get married out of dependency or fear or just that idea of you want to know that there's somebody with you. Like she said, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. And I think a lot of people get married because they just think that's the thing they're supposed to do next. I mean, that's definitely how I ended up in that first engagement. Really? It was just like, that's just the thing that I was thought I was supposed to do next. And so I said, yes. And it's really interesting. It didn't mean that that was, I mean, yeah, it's a hard thing because it's not like that person was a bad person by any means. I mean, he was a really good guy and a nice guy and I'm sure he still is. But, um, but it was, I remember feeling like, oh, is this what it's supposed to feel like when you say yes? And that, my friends, just FYI, (laughs) (laughs) that's like a real warning sign. If you're like, is this what it's supposed to feel like? (laughs) I had, I had a girlfriend call me and say, what did it feel like when, 
how did you know? And I thought, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. How, if you're asking other people, how do you know? You don't know. No. <laughs> you don't know. And I'm not talking about soulmates. We've had that conversation before. We're not talking about that he has to be your best friend or that he's your soulmate or any of that. But there is a base level of having a really significant feeling of confidence that this is the right choice. Yeah, that this is the right choice. And then feeling confident that you have to make that choice every single day because you make oh. it once <laughs> and you think like, this is so great. We made it once. It's wonderful. I mean, you legitimately have to make it every day and you even have to make it when things suck so much. I mean, and you know, you're, you're like on the other side of those first years of those big fights. And I know oh, that yeah. you and Ian still fight. I also know that it's probably a lot less than it was in those first years, right? I mean, yes. don't you think? Please, God, oh. tell me yes. Please tell me it's less. <laughs> um, it's hardly ever now. See? And we have – it's not that we have an easy situation. I mean, we're in a commuter marriage. We've got – you know, that's a that's a challenge all of its own. Um, but we communicate differently and we communicate more calmly. And I went to therapy and we went to marriage therapy too. I mean, yeah. we, we did all of the things that I think you, you really need to do if you find that you're not, um, you're not feeling connected. And I kind and of just so, feel like it should, therapy should be a given. I really think there should be like a stipend for marriage therapy. If you're going to get married and you're going to get some sort of tax benefit out of this deal, I mean, there needs to be some cash that just goes straight to marriage counseling. It's essential. I think it's I, essential. I actually do too. And I didn't. I didn't until um, we went to marriage therapy. I, I think I think I've talked about this before, but when Ian and I decided to do the morning show together yeah. at My Talk 107. Good idea. He said, you know what? We are going to go to therapy because we are going to make sure that we are having the most healthy relationship we can have because we don't want all of that stuff living on the air. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there were times, I mean, our old producer could tell you, there were times when he would know that we had had a fight the night before. <laughs> and, you know, I'm in my studio at home and Ian was at the studio at the station. And our go-between was our producer, who sometimes became a de facto marriage therapist. No kidding. So, but I mean, I think it was a really, I think on Ian's part, that was a really mature and healthy thing to say. It's like, let's make sure we're really communicating at a deeper level because now we're working together. We're not just living together and raising young children together. We're now working together in a sort of public way. Yeah. So let's make sure that we're sort of communicating as best we can. But I think for everybody, if if you can find a way to afford it, but most therapists have sliding scales. So I think therapy is essential. I think it's essential. I totally agree. I think everybody should have to do it, be required to do it, and be, you know, get it for free. <laughs> Somehow. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I know it's expensive. Every time we roll in there, it's a hundred bucks, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it is expensive. But I do think however you figure out the therapy thing, whether it's going for a finite amount of time, you know, I mean, most good therapists, when you go, aren't going to say you're going to see me every week for the rest of time. It's going to be a, yes. a certain <laughs> amount of time. And then, you know, we'll, we'll email ours and be like, Hey, we could use a little tune up. Can we get in for just one or two sessions? And then it helps oh, just to go, that. Hey, let's just pop in. Let's pop in a couple times and just check in and see where we are. But I think anytime you're making room in your 
relationship for those intentional conversations, even if it's like picking up a marriage therapy book and just going through it together chapter by chapter. And you know, one thing, Marjorie, I do think, I love that Ian was the one who said, let's go to therapy. And when I said to Jay, we need to go to therapy, he was just like, okay. And I mean, shout out to Ian and Jay, because I know that there are a lot of men out there who don't want to go. Right. And I know that because I talk to my friends who say my husband won't go. Oh, no. And, um, you know, and, and I'm sure there are, you know, people listening right now who are saying, yeah, great, Marjorie and Elizabeth, I'd love to go to therapy with my husband, but he, he's not into it. And some of that, I think, too, then is on men to start having those conversations with other men. I mean, like Jay absolutely. talks about it with our friends and with other people where he's like, yeah, absolutely. We see Carrie. You know, and he's very matter of fact and confident about it. And I've seen some of the guys that he said that to kind of go, whoa, really? Whoa. And do you think there's still a stigma to it? I totally do. I totally do. Especially with oh, guys. Wow. And I think with a lot of men, you know, and women too, but I, I mean, I'm going to generalize men here and say, I think there's a fear that if they start to open the emotional box, what will happen if they actually have to deal with stuff that they've been shoving down for so long? Because, but if you don't, if you don't, it's going to squish out sideways. It It doesn't stay in. It doesn't stay in. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally, you're totally right. So, um, therapy, we love marriage advice, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's good. What's the best marriage advice you ever got? Well, I think mine doesn't, I, I love hers. I, I actually think that goes to the top of my list, which is just be a little bit deaf sometimes. <laughs> just if he makes a comment that annoys you or hurts your feelings or whatever, just let it roll on by. You know what I think just that skip means? that fight altogether. The more I've been thinking about this tonight as we've been talking mm-hmm. about this, I think it means give him the benefit of the doubt. Give your partner the benefit right. of the doubt. When you're saying like just be a little deaf sometimes because... You know, and I do this too, where he'll say something and I'll just immediately go to this like defensive place of, well, what, what's your problem with that? What do you mean by that? Like, why are you saying that? And, and if you're just a little deaf, sometimes it translates into, I'm just going to think that that came either from a place that maybe I'm reading too much into it, or maybe it has nothing to do with me. Yep. And just let it be. Let it be. Just let it be. But I think that the most interesting advice I got was from Ian's aunt and uncle when we got married. And this was short, shortly after we got married. And I, as we've talked about, I was young. But they came to us and they said, we're just going to say this once. <laughs> just once. Don't feel like you have to have children. Look at that. And I thought that was so, so interesting. And I know it came from such a place of love and I look at their life over the years, and quite frankly, they've been happily married. They're very creative, so they do and be whatever and whoever they want. Because really, you take children out of the picture, that's 90% of the pressure of life, That's honestly. totally true. It's, it's <laughs> absolutely true. That's why, I mean, we talked about this when we were at the fair, just laughing about that yeah. idea of, I mean, it's laughable, someone saying, you know what would we should do to try to save our marriage? Have, have a baby. Three. Like, have how about, you know what we should do if we have a really great marriage and we just want to make it a lot harder than we have a baby? I mean, that's exactly. the reality of exactly. it. Exactly. It, it doesn't mean that it's not 
something that I'm so happy that we've done, but it is so hard. So hard. It's so hard. And I thought it was really sweet because I was pretty young at the time and I, I took the advice in. I wasn't feeling particularly maternal at the time. And Ida and I were married six years before we had kids. So it wasn't like I didn't hear the advice. And I loved the place that it was coming from, from my aunt. And it was coming from a place of she got married in her 50s. So there was probably so much pressure on her to have children. That was just not really the norm, yeah. was for a woman to choose not to have children. And so I thought it was it was really bold advice and it was very loving advice. And I think it's I think it's still good advice out there is that I mean you and I both love our children. We love them very much and I have not one regret. But can I envision a life where I had chosen not to have children? I can't. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. It was not my choice. So I think before you have children in your marriage, that's a conversation that needs to be deep and long with your partner. One, to make sure they want to have children, and two, to make sure you actually want to have children. That's probably a discussion that best happens before marriage, but I think it was I think it was bold advice. I think it is too. And it also just tells you that you don't have to do things just because everybody else does it. I mean, that's another yep, permission that she was giving you. Where, and not just about kids, but just in anything. And you guys have certainly taken that to heart. I mean, even though you didn't (laughs) do, you did the kid thing. And I, I have to say the kid, so Jay just sent me, and when you're telling me this advice, I'm just laughing because Jay just sent me this post from the dad on Instagram, which was one of my favorite Instagram accounts to follow because it's just really funny posts about being a dad and being a parent. Right. And it was a repost of this um, guy, Simon Holland, who tweeted out, let's get married and have kids. So instead of doing fun stuff on the weekend, we can go to a kid's birthday party where everyone coughs. <laughs> yeah. And they have disgusting runny noses because that's how we all want to spend our weekend. Oh my gosh. I know. Which goes back, which goes back to something we talked about in a previous podcast, which is like really everybody of your generation just stop with the parties until the kids are like eight. Please. Just stop. I know. Nobody wants to be there. No, I know. I don't want my kids to go to a, like a friend birthday party. Until I can drop them off and then go get a yeah. pedicure. Like, I'm not interested in go. going and hanging out. Yep. No. That's a win-win-win for everybody. This is totally so how I feel. That is very funny. And then my other piece, my piece of advice to people is if you can't do therapy, uh, and you sort of already mentioned this, is books and then one of the things we used was movies, that we would watch movies about relationships, and inevitably, we would have a great conversation about ours. So there's a lot of ways that you can sort of pick at your marriage, figure out your marriage, make your relationship better. So I think that's that's another thing that we've done. That's what we do when we watch The Bachelor. We have full out this. intense <laughs> analysis of what is happening, and then how, what would have happened if that stuff had happened early in our relationship. And it's very uh, funny. It's funny. I love that. I love that because that is the don't be show. It's <laughs> it's like everything you don't want to do, which is just right for discussion. It's so, so true. That, that's perfect. So what's, what's the best piece of advice you've gotten? Well, about you marriage? know, the best piece of advice came from you. I mean, the best piece <laughs> of marriage advice came from you and it was the launching point for this podcast. And that yeah. was... You said to me, you know, we always had this idea and this kind of, you know, this principle in our home that the outside world didn't get the best of us. And then we came home and brought the crap home. 
Right. And I mean, right. that's what you said in a break during our radio show. And it was really, um, that was really fundamentally great advice. And that just really shifted and helped me shift my perspective in terms of what was going to be the most important place in my life and where am I going to put the absolute most energy and where do I expect the most? And that's going to be right. home. Right. And that's just going to be home. And I mean, and I think that was totally life changing. And then that was why after I had Bernie, I called you and I was like, this is, this is big. Like you gave me something big. And I think we need to talk about this more so that other people experience this too. And again, it doesn't mean that our house has been always peaceful and always joyful and always great, but it does feel good to have just that like sort of shining beacon there that that's what we're aspiring to. And at this point now, I mean, we can, as we talked about when Jay was on the podcast, we can say to each other, are you bringing your best to the nest? (laughs) Like what's your best in this nest? What? And I'll say like that (laughs) is not nest appropriate. Or, I mean, we just have like a lot of nestisms that we use around the house now because of these conversations. Um, and so that was, that was definitely the best advice. Well, what's going to be really wonderful to watch with your family and you have such a beautiful start already, which I was able to witness is that those conversations and that behavior is going to be modeled for your children. And that's, that really will, I think that's when you'll see all of the benefits of that are when your kids are wanting to be angry or they're wanting to vent at home or they're wanting to be ugly at home. But what's been modeled for them, and this is true for all of us, is that we have to cherish what's at home and we have to take care. And if you and Jay are doing that and modeling that as best you can, it'll seep right down to them. I already see it in them. I mean, they're just, they're just beautiful little spirits. They really are. Well, we're certainly, we're not, we're definitely not modeling it perfectly, but I also hope that they see that spirit of forgiveness and you get another chance at home. You know, that it's a really, this is a place that's filled with grace that when you screw up, that you get to come back and just say, I'm sorry. And then we're back at it again. I mean, and that's another big thing. We do a lot of like apologizing in front of each other and, um, and kind of calling each other out on some stuff. And we do that in front of our kids because I, I think having those conversations are important in front of your children because I do think that they need to see your relationship be tested and then they need to see it be mended and they need to see that regularly. So, and that's what, that's what will make them feel safe. I hope so. I do think, you know, when it comes to my type of marriage advice, I am like a big believer in just never do the whole you complete me thing. I just yes. cannot, I do, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I, and this probably comes from me being so fiercely independent, but I yeah. do think that you shouldn't be looking to your partner to give you something that you need. They should be enhancing what you have. Right. It's just, if you are putting the pressure on somebody else to give you what you need or to make you feel whole or to make you feel worthy, it's just really, I think it's going to be a never ending unsuccessful struggle. You're never going to be able to get that. It's too much on somebody else. 
Yeah, it's too much pressure. It's too much. It's why my therapist said to me, you need girlfriends. Yeah. Because I was depending on my husband for everything. Yeah. And it's too much for one person. It's not, And it's not fair to that person either. No. I think that's good advice as well. I think so too. You know, marriage, it's, a, it's an everyday thing. I have a feeling we'll talk about marriage a lot more on this podcast because it yeah. is <laughs> one of the greatest mysteries of life, along with the mystery that is, you know, that you sleep in your own bed for a very long time yes. and then you, you know, decide to cohabitate with someone, whether that's in marriage or not. And then you have to share a bed with them, Marjorie, and you have to sleep with them every single night. I just was reading this story about sleep divorce and how the percentage of couples who are doing sleep divorces <laughs> and then are ending up happier and healthier in their marriage is on the rise. Because like you mentioned, if you are super tired and if that person yes. next to you is preventing you from getting the rest that you need, it's not good for you. And it certainly can't be good for your relationship. <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking that it wouldn't be the worst thing. Now, I think the sleep divorces, they're probably going to two separate rooms. They are. They are. I don't want to ever do that. But I don't think it would be the worst thing to have like two full-size beds in a room. Not twins. Not twins. Not like straight, you know, bewitched or I love Lucy. You don't want the twins. But if you each had your own full-sized bed... And then, like, you could cuddle or do whatever in one and then sort of separate and at least have your own bed, right? I mean, that wouldn't be terrible. I don't know, but then you can still hear the snoring. I mean... I suppose. I'm just saying a king-size bed starts to feel pretty small when you end up with multiple other humans in it, too, who just seem to creep in in the night. And dogs, which is what I spent my time in Kansas with, was a dog that kept creeping into bed with us. Oh, my gosh. It makes it a little bit more tricky to sleep. All right. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. And if you have a moment, we would love a review at Apple Podcasts. And please reach out to us. You can find both of us on Instagram at Best of the Nest or at Eliz Reese and at It's Me Marjorie One. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> Stay married, everybody. Yes, just hang in there one more day. <laughs> <laughs>